All right, everyone, welcome back to another weekly roundup edition of On the Margin. Today, I'm joined, as always, by my curious co-host, Mr. Mark Yusko. Mark, curious. I, I like it. I like it. And, and I, man, it has been it has been a day. So we're getting started a little bit late. Uh, so started this week with I get cold, joys of grandkids. My son last night says to me, "Dad, you look ten years older. You're so white." Okay. <laughs> And I'm like, thanks. Thanks, hon. Um, so then I wake up this morning and the internet's out. So I got to scramble to get ready to come to the office so we could do this. And I get here and I realized that he had taken my credit card last night to buy some video game and I don't have my pass to get in the office. So we get in some, we, I guess we have some remote thing they let me in and uh, and then the other part of it is I had a little domestic accident last night and turns mm. out I only have, uh, <laughs> character band-aids. That's the joys <laughs> of having grandkids. All right. So we'll do the quick reveal. So yes, I'm wearing the Bitcoin orange pants and then I have the Bitcoin bull Cape Crusader socks ah, on today. I love it. So, uh, you know, bull market, fully engaged, crypto spring is here. We'll talk about lots of stuff. But anyway, mm. that's all my ranting. I, uh, you know, the joys of parenting. I've got a, I've got, I've got a friend uh, whose brother, older brother is having, he's got two kids already and he's got a third one on the way. And he was just kind of telling me all the different ways that his life has changed. And, I, you know, in society we do, rightfully so, right? We do a lot of like celebrating of kids. I think there should be more celebrating of parents because my God, uh, yes. it is a heroic feat. Mom and dad, if it you're listening, is. thank you and very there's, much. There's no training. You know? There's no manual. There's no certification. It is making it up as you go along. The fact that any of us as parents survive is, I agree with you. We should Shocking. And then what's the reward? It's like you got to deal with a tiny little person with attitude, you know, with hopes that by the time they're like 25, they'll recognize all the good stuff you did. Parents out there, you're, you're, there should be a parent's day is, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let, let's get let's get right into it though. I use I use the word uh, curious, the adjective curious here for a reason because I've got some questions for you. Uh, basically, we, there's a lot of stuff going on out there that I I don't really understand, uh, and I'm I'm gonna kind of I, I have some ideas, but I want to get your opinion. So, um, basically, I want to start by kind of talking about GDP. So what we're looking at here is contribution to real GDP by sector, right? So real GDP, obviously, kind of adjusting for adjusting for inflation, and you know, it's what's sort of curious to me in general. I think that the GDP chart is is good to look at because it sort of frames this this question that I'm having for myself, which is just where are we in the cycle right yep. now? Because everything about last year and this this you know huge change in stance that the Fed has, I, I kind of had an idea of what was going to happen, and some of that happened, but a lot of it hasn't, and maybe it just hasn't happened yet. But you know, we kind of had this enormous contractions in terms of the monetary environment. And some of those effect, we knew that there was going to be a lag in between the transmission, right, from when monetary, uh, you know, tightening started and when some of these effects were going to be felt in the real economy. But, you know, we're here we are about a year and, and change later, and GDP is the same as it was in, you know, Q3, Q3 of 2021, right, around when this, when the tightening sort of started. So... I'd love to get your your thoughts here on this GDP chart, and then we can maybe talk a little bit about just where you think we are, because it looks like risk assets and stocks are getting a bit of a bounce. Crypto is doing better. And it seems like we kind of still have these overhangs. But the further we go without another shoe dropping, I, I do find myself questioning, like, was I sort of wrong here about my my perspective that there's more pain to come? Like, is there a possibility of a soft landing or that was a whole. That was a whole big, yeah. big lead up to this. But what do you, what do you think, Mark? No, look, I, I think it's an important point. And we actually, we we talked a little bit about this a few months ago when when the Q3 number came out and everybody was celebrating because it was this big number uh, after the two negative quarters, and which was not a recession, right? Not 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 a recession. Um, not according to the White House, no. Well, right, not according to the White House. But but the bottom line is uh, Q3 and Q4. Uh, GDP numbers are, how should we say this, more bad than normal. I mean, all numbers are bad, right? Just and I don't and I don't mean bad like evil. I just mean imagine trying to count the productivity and output of 330 million people every yeah. 90 days. I mean, 
it's probably, you're going to use a lot of estimations. You're going to, you know, and getting it exactly right, never going to happen. But Q3 and Q4, a big chunk, a big chunk of the quote unquote GDP growth was simply the release of the SPR. And you see that in the government, the government spending. So I guess three quarters or 70% ish of this GDP number is government spending and inventories. And inventories is the other thing that is, is kind of comical in that building of inventories is, is not good. It means that yeah. people aren't buying stuff, but you know, we count it and, and we have all these funky rules for how we do GDP. Like we, we don't count the negative effect of a hurricane, but we count the rebuilding. That doesn't make much sense. So bottom line is the numbers are what they are. And as long as they're consistently mediocre, that's okay. Um, I, I'm with you. I had the same kind of reaction and I did my, my 10 surprises yesterday, which is kind of a fun exercise in that what a surprise is, is a position that's antithetical to consensus, that yeah. if it happens, you can make a bunch of money as an investor. So mm. you, know, you have to, one, come up with consensus. So what's consensus? Then you have to come up with an idea that's anti-consensus, and that becomes the surprise. And I've been doing this for, I don't know, 10 years or something. Byron Wien's done it for like 30 years. And uh, it, it's a fun exercise because it makes you go down these rabbit holes. And on GDP, um, I would have been in the camp that after the bad Q1, Q2, uh, we were going to have tough Q3, Q4. Now, it's funny. I, I actually had one of my surprises a year ago being that uh, the White House would go after the price of oil. Because remember, oil spiked to 125 bucks in March yeah, yeah. of last year. And everybody's like, oh, it's going 200 or 300. I'm like, no way, y'all. This, this is an election year. There's no mm -hmm. a midterm election. There's no way they're letting gasoline prices go to five, six bucks. Mm. So, uh, but I didn't think they'd tap. I, and, and what I wrote was either OPEC is going to pump more, right? They're going to go over and, and beg their, their partners to, to pump, or they're going to have to tap the SPR. But I didn't then go further with that and say, okay, well, if they tap the SPR, then Q3, Q4 GDP will rise. Because I'm just not really that facile with that part of calculation. So yeah. uh, that's a long way of saying, uh, I think Q3, Q4 are anomalous. I think Q1 is going to be negative. I think it's going to be materially negative. Um, so all, all this soft landing stuff is going to go away. Now that they'll explain away as seasonality. And I love this part. So they seasonally adjust all the numbers. Mm -hmm. Yet first quarter always seems to be really tough. Like, well, but if you seasonally adjust, why don't you seasonally adjust all the way? Um, mm -hmm. But my last thing on GDP is, I've been saying for a long time that we are in kind of the 2000 to 2002 redo. And that last year was 2001. 2001, Amazingly, uh, first quarter was negative GDP, second quarter was positive, third quarter was negative, exacerbated by 9-11, and fourth quarter was positive. The whole year, 1%. And it was a recession. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Called after the end of the year, right? So they called it backwards. Last year, first and second quarter negative, third and fourth quarter positive, full year, 1%. 1% 1 mm. is a recession. Full stop. Anything sub one and a half percent is a recession. Always has been, always will be, but they're not going to call it a recession because they're they're jiggering the uh, unemployment numbers with labor force participation rate, et cetera. So no, I, NBER right, is in handcuffs. They can't call a recession, even though every definition of a recession is, and recession doesn't mean calamity, but 1% yeah. GDP growth is a recession. Yeah. 
And and for folks who aren't following along via video, you would just to, just to share some some numbers of the charts that we're looking at. So the serve the expectation was that GDP was real GDP was going to come in two point six percent is coming at two point nine percent. So it's over the you know the economist consensus or, or whatever. It, it 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 was interesting to sort of like you and I were talking about the bullwhip effect, right? That Michael Burry was talking about for a while. And you can actually see that in the inventory prints, right? It's that yellow line on the chart uh, on the right, and we built up inventories to your, to your point, right? Which can be good if you move those inventories, but if you build up inventory in excess of demand, then you're going to have to write those inventories down eventually. So you kind of saw that drag a couple quarters later, but now we're back to, to being positive, which I, which I guess, you know, could be interpreted as a, as a bullish, bullish sign. Yeah, um, here are two more, uh, you know, parts of GDP just before we, we move on. And then we're, we're going to show some charts kind of digging into U.S. households and, and their financial situation. But you know, on the left here, we've got real final sales to private domestic consumers. That's kind of core GDP, right? Like really at the end of the day, the U.S. consumer is the 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 engine of growth, right? So yep. it's, it's, it's interesting to track, right? Like what uh, real final sales look like. And that's that's pretty low, right? And, and then on, on the right here, we're looking at housing investment and that contribution to GDP. So you saw this enormous, uh, you know, it was, it was huge tailwinds uh, over kind of the 2020 period. And now that's collapsed, and it's been a consistent a consistent drag. So, again, I, I mean, these were just two two sort of um, bullet points I pulled out here. I'm not sure if uh, anything stands out, or well, if you want to just move on. The the American economy, U.S. economy, is 72 ish. Pick a number mm-hmm. uh, in the low 70s percent consumption. So the fact that that the consumer is struggling is a big deal, right? And and this idea that that um, somehow everything's going to be okay. I don't know. I mean, part of, part of the problem I have with, again, it's the data retail sales. So retail sales have two problems. One, they don't adjust for population growth, which is mm. absolute insanity. And and who made that decision? I'll, I'll, you know, I don't know, but the idea that, that you just, put up a number and don't say, well, there are more people. That just it makes no sense. Mm-hmm. And the second thing is they don't really, I mean, you get real numbers, but, but they don't, on the nominal stuff, they don't, they don't con, there's no construct for adjusting for the fact that like if gasoline prices went up really high, people are buying more, but it's the total dollar amount. It might not be that they're buying more right. and more frequently. It's just that the prices rose. And so, you know, one of the things that, I said could be a big surprise this year is as inflation ebbs, which it, it, you know I think will be in deflation by the end of the year. Uh, that tailwind for corporate profits, right, because prices are higher, et cetera, um, will dissipate. the The second piece here on housing, th- this is big, right? The housing collapse is. 35, 40% of the way through. Um, it's just getting warmed up. I mean, I, I'm going through it literally in that, uh, and, and it's less of an impact for me because I'm not moving. But, you know, 10 years ago, I picked a mortgage and I, I get, I didn't even remember this, but I picked a 10 year arm and I just got a little nasty gram in the mail saying, oh, guess what? In, in two months, your interest rate's going to go from three to six. Like, huh? Yeah, I probably should have been watching that. Um, I never, I don't even remember picking that. I, I don't have any recollection. I've always had a fixed rate mortgage, but for some reason, I picked a ten-year arm. Probably thinking that that I'd, you know, be done with the mortgage by then. Could have been in the house a long time, but whatever. Um, so now the question is, do I? you know, pay down the mortgage because it's not, you know, there's not that much left because I've been around, you know, been in the house a long time. But anyway, that's that that's happening to the real, you know, a family that is going from 3% to 6%, you know, young family with kids, you got to come up with a thousand dollars a month. No way. No way. So yeah. that housing prices, I think are going to fall a lot. And that's gonna be a big drag on GDP. You know, it's it, there's sort of like single family, like residential real estate. But I I also took a lot away from that conversation that we had with James last week about uh, you know the the big institutional buyers of of real estate, like the Blackstones yep. of the world, right? And kind of 
you know, my 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 takeaway as someone who's not an investor or an expert in investing in real estate, right, was basically that cap rate to interest rate uh, ratio is something that's very important. And when you have record low interest rates for a while and in an industry that's dependent on, you know, acquiring assets, right, that are very levered to the price yep. of interest rates, you get a whole swath of probably the institutional part of the real estate market, which is underwater and they're seeking short-term financing. I mean, that's a, that's another thing. I mean, people, you know, there was a, people still say this, right? The, the big, the the thing that kind of brought us down in the great financial crisis, or the first thing to kind of turn were those ARMs, those adjustable rate mechanism, uh, very short-term, very uh, variable mortgages. And now we've got all these fixed rate mortgages. Well, that, that doesn't magically make bad investments, good investments, right? It just means that you delay the outcome for a right. while as well. Right. Um, so that's something to consider. Well, but your point on refinancing uh, is not just mortgages, right? Um, 70% of corporate debt is less than one year. So mm. all of these companies that borrowed cheap are going to have to refinance that debt at significantly higher prices. That is going to chip in. That's going to eat into margins pretty badly. Yeah. And and then this just to put a bow on on everything they were saying. This is a you know real GDP uh, you know over the Goldman U.S. financial index you know conditions. This is a measure of uh, you know Goldman's measure of the tightness of financial conditions. And again, the, the point obviously is going back to 1995, and you can see that those two things are very correlated. Financial conditions have have plummeted, and real GDP for the U.S. is starting to to follow, but it hasn't um, it, it hasn't gone all the way there yet. So. There are a lot of charts like this, and and some sometimes you know they end up playing out, and sometimes they don't. But again, just something to consider. Well, but you look have, at this chart. Go back, go back to that chart for a second. Yeah. Look at that chart. Okay, so the the gold line is the financial conditions inverted, and then the the black line is <clears throat> GDP. Mm. There are no situations, right? Precisely zero, where the gold line, right? Financial conditions worsen, meaning the gold line goes down and the black line goes up. Yeah. Zero. So yeah. this idea that somehow it's going to diverge, it's just not. Now it doesn't have to go all the way, right? I right. mean, you can see in, in 20, 2009 that financial conditions got, you know, to minus 10, uh, and you know GDP only only, only uh, right. fell you know four or five percent, um, so that's definitely possible that you know that black line that's up there at, at two and a half percent positive. I'm sorry, one percent positive. Uh, Tris trailing one year, um, you know gets down to minus two and a half, three, mm -hmm. four. That's an ugly number. Um, now, could it go all the way down like it did in 2020? No. I mean, we're not going to, well, I hope we're not going to lock down everything. Um, I don't think we're going to lock down everything. But I, I, I said, I think first quarter GDP will be negative. Um, how negative? Don't really know. But that's just my, my view. Yeah. I, I want to, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. It's, it's a good call out. I mean, rarely, right, actually does the, does the black line trail the, you know, get as bad. You have the. It doesn't have as marked swings, right, as the the financial conditions, because that's what the the Fed is trying to, you know, correct for that black yeah. line. But, yeah. um, all right. I, I want to get to, uh, you know, this is. I've, I've got a bunch of slides here on, you know, sort of taking a look at the the financial condition of U.S. households, right? And this is, you know, we we're starting with housing here because that's a huge part of it, and there are just a couple of different charts and ways that we can look at this, but. You know what? I actually want to I want to skip ahead and I want to show you something here, which is I found pretty pretty surprising. And this might this might actually set us up for the rest of the conversation. So, you know, we're, we're kind of sitting here saying, yeah, I mean, we'll see what GDP ends up doing over the next couple of quarters. But I mean, this chart here, the, these two charts about um, you know sort of the financial situation of households, this is very indicative to me of why there might be kind of this levitation in the economy where you would expect uh, more carnage. So on, on the left here, we're looking at household checkable deposits, basically. This is just the, the cash that, that households have on hand. And, and you can just see there's, there's this kind of small, uh, you know, at the bottom of the chart uh, baseline, right? And then there's what, what's actually happened since, since 2020. And, 
you know, I mean, household, uh, the cash that, that households have on hand has, you know, more than doubled in the last two years. And then you kind of see it broken out by, by income uh, on, on the chart on the right. But it's basically saying the same thing, which is just that households are just sitting on a lot of cash right now. And maybe that's the reason why all of this stuff is held up. And some of it comes from kind of transfer payments, right? Uh, and and support from the government, like fiscal support from the government. But a lot of it is also, I mean, people have been worried about a recession for such a long time that people have also, you know, people are also kind of hanging on to their, uh, the cash in their accounts. So I don't, what do you think about looking at anything kind of jump out at you at these, at these charts, Mark? Or so I think, I think it's a really good one because uh, if you think about the, the charts that are making the rounds, you know, on Twitter and, and elsewhere, it, it shows the absolute collapse in say us savings rate. Right? right. I mean, it's just absolutely collapsed. And, and then credit card delinquencies have, have gone absolutely parabolic and credit. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, credit card usage, credit card usage has gone absolutely parabolic and credit card delinquencies have, have ticked up. And everybody's like, see, the consumer's up. But there was a great chart that did what you did, which is said, well, well, hold on. You got to overlay the fact that that the government wrote these stimmy checks in, in 2020 and a whole bunch of people have, quote unquote, excess savings. And I, I think this chart on, on the left is, is really important, which is um, you can see the uh, the the gold, which is the fiscal support. So at the lowest end, there's a meaningful amount of money, right? If the government gives you 1200 bucks and, and you don't make that much money, it's a meaningful amount of money. Uh, at the top, yeah, whatever. I mean, mm-hmm. people who are super wealthy, that $1,200 really didn't, didn't move the needle. Uh, but then the green, which is the reduction in outlays, uh, you know, you can see, again, you can see the average family has tightened their belt. The top quartile, not so much. They're just blowing and going, and but they got plenty of money. So, um, and 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 you can see that right in in the high end stuff. You know, Louis Vuitton and Richemont, and yeah. and those those things have, have held up quite quite nicely. Um, so I I think where we are on this is that pool of of capital. Um, it's, it's real, but it's not permanent. And while there's a lot of talk about things like UBI, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to bring that back up and say, oh, you know, we're going to do this consumption tax and we're going to, you know, tax the rich and give to the poor. Okay. Maybe. Um, but in lieu of that, uh, the fact that, that people are having to use credit you know, use credit cards is, has never been a good sign for, you know, economic growth. Yeah. Well, I mean, we were talking about this just, I mean, it's, I guess I'm just uh, registering a little bit of confusion because there's a lot of way to slice, you know, the health of households and the American consumer, right? And, you know, when you do look at excess rate, uh, you know, the savings rate plummeting and the credit use of credit cards, you know, skyrocketing, I mean, that, should cause anyone to have some concern. But then this is just a whole other dimension of just to kind of look at the, you know, the amount of cash that's been built up over the years. So I'm, I guess I'm, I'm sort of saying I'm a little bit confused to look at all of this, this different data, but I mean, to me, actually a a more resilient consumer would help explain uh, a lot of the stuff that we're seeing, actually the results that we're seeing in the economy, because earnings have held up and GDP has held up uh, honestly much better than at least I thought going into these. Earnings were okay, right? Mm-hmm. You know, Q4 earnings were, were okay. Not not awesome, but but okay to that point. Mm-hmm. I think it's coming, right? I think the December retail sales number uh, down 1.5% was mm. was one of the largest drops in at least two decades. It might be might be longer, but it was it was it was a big, big number. Uh, and and you've seen a couple misses on earnings that have been material. Yeah. Um, so look, I I do think for the for the bulk of, of this year to, or, or you know, last year 2022 people were able to dip into that that cash reserve I, I think much of that cash reserve is is used up not all of it but but much mm. of it and and it's gonna be tougher uh, but we'll see I mean I, I I will say that you know 
I'm not traveling as much as I used to, but when I do travel, airports are, are pretty full. Flights are still pretty full. In fact, I think I saw a, a data point that, that TSA <coughs> travelers just exceeded the pre-pandemic uh, level for the first time. So, yep. you know, that's, that's a positive. Yeah. Yeah. I've, uh, you, you know, another thing that we've talked about on this show that I think is just appropriate to maybe direct a little bit of nuance and attention towards is these, the layoffs that have come from big tech and, you know, media loves news of layoffs, right? Cause it's a, it's a dramatic thing and you can throw some like, you know, big number quote unquote out there. And it seems like this, this dramatic uh, sort of event, but you know, just, just to put in context, you know, Google, they, they announced the laid, laid off, you know, 12, 12,000 people or something. It's like 12,000 people. And, and I have friends who work at Google. Everyone's like very shaken up about this and, and people are worried, but it's like, guys, that's, you know, you have a 160,000 workforce, a global workforce, right? This is about 6% of the, the workforce yeah. that got laid off. And even more importantly, it's like, since I think 2021, they've hired 30,000 people. So you have laid off, you know, you're, you're still a ways away from even the pre-COVID, you know, sort of level. Uh, I think I, I saw some, there was an, some activist shareholder that wrote a letter, which is saying, Hey, we'd like another 20% cut to get you to where you were just around, you know, pre COVID basically. Um, yeah. So- and, and look, I'm, I'm sure you've seen the TikTok uh, of, of the, the, <laughs> the woman who, you know, did the before and after she did her a TikTok of day mm-hmm. in life at Google. Oh, you got to see this. Uh, yeah. So she did a day in the life at Google and then she did a day and they said, oh, and I just got laid off. So, mm-hmm. um, but today in the life, I, I, it was, it was so gross. I mean, oh, I, I come in at, at nine o'clock and, and I go get, you know, some free food out of the pantry and, and then, you know, I go to one of our beautiful conference rooms and, and I take a meeting and, 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 you know, and, and, and then like by fourth, and then she got a massage and then she was like done by four 30. I'm like, that's not like high productivity. There's not a lot of there, there. So maybe it was not the average, you know, person there. Um, but, but I was like, if, if that's what we're paying for, yeah, the, you know, some, some cutting of that fluff, not a bad thing. I will say I, I think I told the story one time. So I got asked to speak. It was funny at the Google uh, Investment Club. So oh, really? Google has this investment club, and, and they're value investors, right? Because you know all their money is made by growth, and so, and you know they'd had Charlie Munger, and and I'm like, I really don't want to talk to a group that's had Charlie Munger come in. So, <laughs> um, but but I I did it, and and you know they're taking me around, and we go to one of these fancy restaurants, and. And I said to the guy, I said, you know, so how many people are, are on the campus? And he said, oh, you know, 25,000. And his friend goes, oh, dude, there's at least 40,000. I'm like, so within 15,000, you know how many people are on the main campus. Mm-hmm. So that's how crazy that that hiring was. I, I just, I found that just amazing. It's 25 or 40. Mm-hmm. I I mean, and, and you know what? It's It's just... There's nothing bad, right, with like people who do good work and they, you know, you want to see salaries rising. And there's a lot of flack, you know, I, the median salary at Google was $300,000. And it's like, I know that's a high number, but like it really depends on what Google is getting in return for that yeah. that labor, right? I mean, Google is like the best money-making machine of all time. But I, I agree. There's definitely been a little bit of excess. Um, but the overall point is just that, again, tech is very visible, right? And I think those TikToks, you know, of like the day in the life of the product manager – like captured the zeitgeist a little bit because people hate people hate seeing that, right? I mean, oh no, it's, it's like brutal. Hate, it was it's a hateable thing me, to it watch. It made me angry. It made me yeah. physically angry. It makes people angry, but but ultimately, like it's such a small percentage of the population that I know it's much know. it's much smaller than you know, like the, the broader economy is like is is not that. Right? I know, uh, I know, and and look, we have a Google office here, and those guys are not doing that; they're doing venture stuff. And mm. um, but I I think. The bigger problem for big tech, it's not the cost. It's the lack of revenue growth. Yeah. And, and I've done a bunch of stuff on this that if you look at, you know, Fang, uh, Facebook, Amazon, and, and really, 
and I'd probably put FAMGA, so Microsoft. And Microsoft should be in there for sure. Because yeah. those, those are the big ones. So it's not, it's not as good an a acronym, but, but FAMGA. Uh, those four big companies, uh, if you look at their, their revenue growth, 40, 30, 20, 10, 5, 3, 1. I mean, Microsoft, the reason Microsoft you know, went down the other day is they reported 1%. 1.4% revenue growth. Apple is down sub 1%. So these are not growth stocks. I mean, you look, you look at Apple's EV to EBITDA. I mean, it's orders of magnitude beyond where it should be for a company that's growing 1%. Mm-hmm. And, and it's because they are cult stocks in the sense that they are such a big piece of the index now that everybody's 401k who buys a S&P 500 index fund has to buy 7% of Apple and 4% of Microsoft. And, and I, I, I don't know. I, I made a bet, not a bet, uh, you know, challenge with, with Kevin O'Leary on CNBC four years ago that, that Amazon would be dead money for 10 years. He's like, oh, you're an idiot. That could never happen. Four years in, dead money. It's actually down. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty confident that I'm going to be right because it's not that it's not a great company. It is a great company. But yeah. the valuation got so crazy that it can't survive. Price yeah. can't survive. What's going on, guys? Want to give a quick shout out to this episode's sponsor, Curve. They are the one-stop shop credit cards that helps you take control of your personal finances. Here's the reason that I personally love this company. These guys are all about helping you manage and maximize your personal cash flow. We have been talking for the last couple of months about everything that the Fed is doing with raising interest rates. Obviously, this is not, no one's got a crystal ball. This is not financial advice, but I think it makes sense more than ever now for companies to be managing their cash flow and for you as an individual to be managing your personal cash flow as well. Curve makes it super, super easy to do that. Even I can do it. As a technological Philistine, they aggregate all of your spending information in one place. They make it super easy to plan. But they actually go one step further than that. They have a very cool feature called Go Back in Time, which allows you to switch payments from one card to another. So if you have an unexpected expense crop up, boom, you can move that over to your credit card, free up some cash. Or maybe you learned too late that you could have earned more rewards by spending on a different card. Boom, Curve has you covered there too. And the last thing that I'll say is, if you click the link at the bottom of this episode, you'll get $20 in Curve Cash, but you'll only get that if you click the vanity link at the bottom of this episode. Plus, that gives me the credit as well. So thank you, Curve. I appreciate you caring about cash flow. Guys, click the link at the bottom of this episode. Tell my I sent you. It, you know what else is funny? I mean, I think the actually the more telling, the, the more important data point that people are have talked about but aren't really talking about is the actual high-level sort of CEO, founder, exec-level departures that have been happening at some of these tech companies. Yep. So in that FANG acronym, uh, in the last couple of years, since you made that bet, after you made the bet with Kevin, we've had Bezos depart. Yep. I don't know if you just saw within the last week or two, Reid Hoffman, uh, you know, yep. the founder of Netflix, departed. Yep. And people always say, and, and we had Sheryl Sandberg and some of the executives at Meta, you know, depart and I don't know. We just watched a wave of, of departures in crypto. And there's that very famous tweet now, you know, which is, uh, who is the guy at uh, Tabasco? Sam Jabuco at, at oh, yeah. Alameda. And, you know, yeah. he tweets this thing. Why do journalists want to make a big deal out of me leaving when I just want to make my boat go fast over the water? It's like, oh, boy, has that not aged well. And, yeah. and, and, you know, it's kind of like these guys and, the, you know, everyone, of course, they want to paint it as, look, I've built something here. I just want to take time with my kids and my family and well, you weren't saying that when the stock was going straight up is all I'm saying. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Look, um, we are definitely witnessing a, a sea change. And, but it, it, this is the way evolution works. Yeah. And, and this is not new, right? I mean, the biggest companies in, in the stock indices were other things. They weren't always the fangs. Yeah. There was a time when it was the telephone companies. There was a time when it was the steel companies. And that's why I think so many of us have, have now shifted into Web3 and, and the, the next you know, iteration. You know, Web1 was amazing. It was amazing. I mean, think about, <laughs> we were talking about this. So, so I woke up this morning and my internet is down. 
So I got to scramble. I, I can't stay at my house because I got to do this and I need the internet. And you said, and I love this, said, you know, the internet went down the other day and I'm sitting here, I'm like, well, what do I do? There's nothing I can do. I'm like, what? What? You know, the mind yeah. just blows. But it's, it's true. I remember we had an ice storm down here uh, a number of years ago and, you know, power went down and therefore the internet's down. And I'm looking around the office going, oh my God, I can't get to anything. Like I physically can't get to the phone numbers of people to, you know, old school call them. I can't get to my report to work on because it's in the computer. And if I don't have electricity, I'm, I'm dead. So look, the internet is amazing and we use it every single moment of every day, right? Great. Web two. All right. Social media, not really a fan actually. No. Right. I'm not. And, and, you know, I, I, I look at what it does to, you know, the, the kind of self-worth, particularly of, of young women. It's not good. It's just not good. And yet I, you know, look, when Twitter was talking about going down, I was freaking out. I was freaking out. Cause I'm like, yeah. Whoa, where would I get my news? Where would I get my friends? Cause uh -huh. all my friends I have met, like I was talking to a guy yesterday. I did a, I did a you know, podcast. I shouldn't say friends, but, but acquaintances. Mm. I mean, we did a podcast. He's in Australia. Like, and, and we become friendly halfway around the world because of the internet and because of Twitter. Like I never would have met him in the old days, right? You know, I wouldn't have got a pen pal letter just randomly. So I, I, I think as much as I like to, you know, yell at social media, you know, I, it does have some, some benefits and some, some advantages. I, I will say the one thing, I don't know if you saw the, the thread, I retweeted it from this guy who went and spent time with, with Elon to try to understand this whole shadow banning thing. Mm -mm. And I'm, I'm going to give, I'm going to give Elon some props here. Um, you know, I'm not the biggest Elon fan, but I'm going to give him some props that, that he let this guy go in and talk to the engineers and find out exactly why his account had been shadow banned and actually admitted that, yeah, this is a problem, like, like a real problem. And the guy had three bans. He had a misinformation ban uh, and, and two others. It's in the, it's in the thread. Um, and look, I, I, I know I'm there. I mean, I've had, uh, what do I, it doesn't matter. I've had 139,800 followers for three months, like precisely. Yeah. And I'll get a notice that, oh, you got 10 new followers and then I'll look at the number and it'll be exact same thing. 831, 833, 827. Clearly. Something I did something to somebody, said something, liked something, commented on something, retweeted something, and I've now been labeled a misinformationist or whatever. But you know, I didn't go all the way to, to get like completely banned. Uh, but anyway, it, this is sort of the I mean, everything that we're talking about is the natural evolution of what happens to different industries, right? I mean, it starts as this. You know, in, in a lot of ways, like I mean, if you go back to look at some of the early things that people were saying about tech, there's so much to to you know understand and love about that. And it really rhymes with crypto today. I mean, a lot of the people in the early web were, uh, I, you know, ideal, not ideologues, but uh, they're very optimistic and, and had an idea yeah. about what they want to build. In some ways, they they built that. In, in other ways, that their narrative really fell down. And I think a lot of the idealists sort of got, uh, kind of had their dreams. <laughs> well, it's, it's all, to your point, it's the ideologues or the, the ideation people that build. Right. But then it's the capitalists that come in. That come and, in and, right. and, and look, my life is better because of web one and web two, yeah. full stop. And yeah. my life is gonna be better because of web three, full stop, decentralization. And I, I think we talked about this. I had this little you know, mini existential crisis, um, but I read you know, Dar Albright's blog post uh, over the holidays about decentralization and it really snapped me back to reality. Um, and I think everyone needs to read it in that it, it just, the inevitability of decentralization, the inevitability of more robust systems, the inevitability of being able to transfer value, you know, straight without mm. 
intermediaries. It, it's all there. It's all, it's all, and, and, and our lives will be enhanced. Now, are there going to be grifters? Are there going to be scammers? Are there going to be bad people? Of course. But go back to the internet. Tons of grifters, tons of scammers. I mean, the original <coughs> ISP, internet service providers, like when it was a bunch of guys with you know computers in their basement, tons of bad stuff where they were, you know, phishing your credit card number and, you know, buying all kinds of crazy stuff. So it's not a surprise that bad things happen in crypto. What's surprising is that we act like it's new. It's just not, right? You can yeah. go back to any technological innovation. You know, railroads, there are plenty of grifters around railroads. There are grifters around, you know, air travel. There are, I mean, anything. It's um, it, it's a hundred percent. The you know the this the, all these questions about the the shadow banning that happens on Twitter. The point I was you know sort of trying to make is that you know these industries they they start as one thing, they become another. We're seeing the the shift from like high growth industries to like cash cow type industries. Yeah. The next thing is like regulation, and then they end up looking like just any other any other industry. Uh, and then there's a new I industry which is yeah. So. You know, I, I'm I'm very I'm I'm a little bit torn, and uh, you know, I've always sort of considered myself like in the not. I I don't really believe that Elon Musk is in the total free speech camp, but like I I would put myself as like I, I think that's I think that's important, right? I think he's doing it kind of as like a branding exercise, but I I, yes. I believe in it. But I also I'm sort of torn. I heard on on podcast, I'm blank. Uh, Jared Friedberg has a, had a great argument for. He was talking about. What his sort of conception of like the Twitter files, which was to me, I think this is my favorite take that I've heard about it, which is Twitter is trying to build an editorial product. So is Google. So are all yep. these sites. And yep. and the reason is like everyone says, I don't want that. I don't want your editorial opinions. I just want all the information until you yeah. get all the information. And then it's confusing. It's annoying. It doesn't feel agri like, uh, you know, just organized in a way that's you know attractive to you at all. So then someone has to come in and say, okay, look, this isn't what the customer wants. So we got to give the customer more of what they want. So I, I do think it's appropriate to like look at Google, even, even like these aggregators like Google and Twitter is they're creating an editorial product for you. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, you know, I so, go back and forth, I don't know. you know, I, and, I and it used it. to be the little three stars in the right hand where you could mm -hmm. flip between the algo and those that you follow. And everybody's like, I don't want the algo. I don't want the algo. I don't, I don't, you know, I want the people. But here's the thing. I go back and forth. And now it's right on your front page, right? It's for you and, you know, who you follow. Here's the problem. In a perfect world, I don't want the algo, right? As smart as it is, as good as it is, I don't want the algo. I want my carefully curated group of people that I have put together I want the information, but here's the problem. You have to constantly curate or it degrades like really fast. Like if you like, you know, friend from high school, perfectly fine. I mean, follow, follow a friend from high school, perfectly fine. But then it turns out they're clogging up your stream with stuff that you don't necessarily want. Yeah. And you really, you know, you want to talk to them and you want to communicate with them and you want to be able to DM them, but I don't really want to follow them or something changes or somebody changes jobs. And so I, you know, now have thousands of people that I follow that I probably should unfollow, but I always feel guilty if I unfollow somebody because I feel like they're going to get, a, you know. And so the curate, unless you're really active in curating lists and it, it's, not as, it's not as useful and, and it's filled with stuff that you don't want to see, where in theory, the algo can do this editorial function and say, okay, based on your preferences, this is what you want to see. So I go back and forth and, you know, but then what will happen is this nonsense of, well, then somebody inside Twitter with an agenda starts putting stuff in that I don't want to see, right? I, I like, I, I get these weird things now. I mean, totally nothing to do with anything I've ever followed. And, and, you know, it's either a political thing or a, a gender thing. And I'm like, stop, I don't, I don't want that. 
Mm. And then I'll go back to the curation and then I'll get tired of sifting through, you know, the high school friend stuff that I don't want to see. And so it is a tough one. And the best analogy I can use is Pandora, right? Pandora, you type in, okay, I want to listen to Bruce Springsteen. Okay. So I get the Bruce Springsteen channel and I hear the boss born in the USA, but then the next three songs are not from the boss. They're from people the algo thinks I might like based on what other people like. Mm. And it's awesome. It's Spotify awesome. algorithm is probably my favorite algorithm that I've okay. ever interacted yeah. with. Yeah. And, I, and I think, you know, I'm, I'm old, right? And I invested in Pandora. So I'm a Pandora guy. I'm not a Spotify guy. And that's not good or bad. But but it's amazing. I have this one, the, the, I, my son, you know, I have the 12-year-old and, and he has different music tastes than I do. So he he gave me, I can't remember, it was like, uh, it was like Macklemore or something like that. And <laughs> I can't remember. I mean, it was something like that. And, but here's the crazy thing. I've discovered a bunch of music that I actually like yeah. from that algo that I never, ever would have looked at. We, we got to get you on the Spotify algorithm art. It's uh, it's life changing. I'm telling you, it's I, I don't want to. I'm rooting for you and your Pandora investment. We got to get we got to get you. On Spotify. No, no, look, I'm I'm out. I sold the Pandora a long time ago. So all, all right, right. I'll, I'll I'll try the Spotify. But but my point is, I I'm okay if the algos are doing what what the Amazon algo does. Yeah. Right. And maybe the Amazon algo is bad too, and I just don't know it. But I feel like the Amazon algo actually suggests things to me based on my buying patterns. I don't feel like it's pushing a political agenda. And I can't say that about Twitter. I think Twitter unfortunately does because, and that's true of all media, right? All media yeah. has a reputation of being left or right. Yeah. And maybe it's true, maybe it's not. It's probably a little bit true or not everybody would believe it, right? I've got one one sort of note. Actually, I was just just remembering this before we. I I, I want to just sort of close with us just talking about um you know it, it, like crypto and and some of the price action that's happening in crypto and get your thoughts on it. But there was this uh you know just while we're talking about big tech here, you know I th I think we've shifted from crypto being the bubble to AI. You know, kind of a, a mini bubble being driven by the success of Chat GBT and and OpenAI, which people are really excited about. Did you see? The reaction to so BuzzFeed announced that they were going to start using ChatGBT, uh, you know, as a and look at this is what happened to their stock price. I don't know if you saw this, like right after they announced the stock, not some crazy yeah. amount, but the stock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, oh yeah, I guess it was up, uh, you know, almost 90 percent. That's that's uh, yeah, you know, that's a ridiculous. That's look, so ridiculous. I mean, it is ridiculous, and it's 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 literally like you know, I'm gonna change my name to .com, and. Uh, or riot goes the other way. I'm gonna take the word, you know, blockchain out of my my out of my name. Look, Chat GPT, it's great. Now, is it the greatest thing in the world? No. Um, is it gonna have super huge problems scaling? Yep. Um, you know, does it make lots of errors? Yep. Uh, is it gonna get clogged when you know a lot of people are trying to use the same thing? And you know, it anyway. But but yeah, that that's that's crazy. But I actually, I, it wasn't Macklemore. It was Marshmallow and Bastille. Those those were the two. All right, Marshmallow and Bastille. Um, I've got so the ChatGPT thing. I think so. That stock that that was the market thinking. There's part partly that's just like the algos and hype and whatever. But I think you know the rational explanation of that was the market thinks ChatGPT is ready to replace reporters. Right. And, and I think the market is wrong there. I think what ends up happening is ChatGPT ends up being like a super powered kind of spell checker. Uh, but it's more of like, a, you know, have you ever used Grammarly or something like that yeah. to check your spelling? Yeah. I, I think ChatGPT will be something like that, but a more powerful version of that where it helps you do filler paragraphs. Like if you've ever been a writer and you're kind of trying to remember like yep. what to write. So it is really good at generating these like generic kind of outline and like paragraph blocks describing things sure. that help you move faster as a as a reporter and a writer and, and kind of helps you just like keep the ball moving and stop writer's block. So I, I think it will be a powerful tool for, but it's not, investors are being like, oh, it's going to replace report. And that's just, I just think that's- No way. I look, I, I'm with you. I mean, look, it's it's loquacious to the point 
of arrogance. Like a lot of the stuff it it spits out is just it's not even fun to read. It's so yeah. you know hoity toity. Um, and and I said it's full of errors because all it's doing is pulling from reams of data. And but here's the other problem it has because uh, we've already seen it. You know, it's scrubbing data that now people are saying, well, that's my data. That's not your data. You don't get to scrub right. that. You don't get to use that. So as those walled gardens go up, the efficiency goes down, the effectiveness goes down. And to your point, here's the thing. I, and, I, and I believe this 100%, and maybe I'm wrong, but I don't believe AI, and I'll say it, I don't think it'll ever get to where the human brain, like, we probably had an idea of what we were going to talk about today, mm -hmm. but that's not the way the human brain works. My brain is messed up. I mean, it goes in all different areas and, and I don't, and, and, you know, these numbers are going to be off, but, but directionally they're, they're saying, someone was saying that every day, you know, you get like 11 million pieces of information. Like your brain has like 11 million and you deal with like 17 and, and, and those numbers aren't exactly right, but, but proportionally they are. Mm -hmm. And so, I, I marvel, right, at how a conversation ebbs and flows and how the human brain makes linkages. No chance ChatGPT is going to do it. I, I'm, I'm with you, but I would, just, I would just say like people sometimes have this idea like, oh, AI is never going to get to human. We have a very specific type of intelligence, right? Yeah. So like here's, here's a fun, you know, the human brain is really good at this thing called thin slicing. Which like when you meet a person, that's your like gut interaction of like, you know, if you're going to like that person or like you have a gut feel about that yep. person within like three seconds or seven yep. seconds is what it yep. actually is. But you know what? If I asked you to do like 31 times 75, you'd be like, you know, so there are just different types of human intelligence that uh, are there are just different types of intelligence. Well, no, computers are great for speed and right. to your point, math or or Wordle, right? You know, or or you know, uh, words with friends playing Scrabble or chess. Yeah. yeah, it can look at all the different moves faster. But here's the thing: even in chess, and and it took a long time for the computer to beat Kasparov because Kasparov had this thing, right, where he could intuit like right. what the other person was going to do, and the computer can't do that. So, look, I I love computers. I love them. I use them all the time. Um, but I, I just don't believe that we're going to be fed chat GPT uh, script and, and accept it. I just, I just mm. don't think that's the way it's going to work. I think yeah. um, because again, the problem with, with all of that is it's gigo. It's garbage in, garbage out. If you're putting the wrong stuff in, bad stuff's going to come out. And yes, it's funny when someone says, oh, you know, write uh, an essay on why Bitcoin's awesome in Donald Trump's voice. And, you know, oh, it's going to be huge. Okay, great. Anyone <laughs> could have done that. My, you know, seven-year-old could have done that. Oh, yeah, he says huge a lot. Great. Cool. It came out of computer. But, but that isn't really that i mean it's it's interesting that they know donald trump says huge but the rest of the words about bitcoin weren't really unique or unusual and yeah. so uh, it's fine yeah Let, let's let's uh sort of circle back to where we started here and i, I know we've got to run um you know gdp looks like it's holding up your your sort of perspective is that we're going to see negative prints in q1 and q2 crypto price action has been quite quite good uh we had kind of a uh, it's been a little while since we've had a Bitcoin-led rally, right? Which felt pretty good to watch. Uh, that I feel like that I haven't seen one of those since 2021, frankly. And uh, but now we're almost starting to see like Aptos, which many people on this podcast probably won't know. It was kind of this like layer one, you know, very heavily like uh, VC invested type type of, and that's been ripping. It's got like a 20 billion dollar valuation or something like that, which is more than Zoom. So that to me makes me a little bit worried. But like, where do you sort of land on crypto price action? Because well, I, I sort of am in the camp that we've probably seen the bottom in terms of price. It seems like there are huge headwinds, though, just in terms of like general business activity for the space. Where do you sort of see yep. all that shaping So out? look, the, the most recent move isn't crypto, it's the dollar. Mm. So since October 24th, the dollar has collapsed 
Why? Well, the powers that be met and they decided that it's the euro and yen's turn to be in the hot seat, right? And they have to appreciate their currencies because look, everybody wants to devalue their currency. That's a beggar thy neighbor world. And particularly in a deglobalization world, you have to shrink your currency because you export. And, you know, when you look at China, for example, you know, China used to be all about export from China. Now it's about selling to China, right? Everybody wants to sell cars, goods, clothes, handbags to the 700 million people in the middle class in China. Mm. So, so everybody needs a weak currency. And, you know, the dollar got a year worth of weak currency, you know, and, you know, look, from January last year to October, the dollar, DXY, relative to the yen and the euro, 18%. Mm. 18%. Now, it's given more than half of that back in the last 10 weeks. I mean, it's been a straight down move. So Bitcoin didn't go up. Bitcoin priced in dollars went up because the dollar went down. And so I, I think the, the, the question for everyone is pivot or no pivot. So raising less is not a pivot. It's just not, right? Stopping raising is not a pivot. Cuts are a pivot. Now, I think it's very low likelihood there's going to be cuts. I mean, Jerome the Hawk says he's gotten to five and a half on, on the short end. We'll see. Um, everyone's convinced he's only doing 25 uh, next week. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think the continued pressure on him to raise less and – you know, Ms. Lagarde is now in the hot seat. She's got to raise rates. She's 200 basis points behind. It's weird though, right? In that she started raising rates and European stocks went like this. I mean, straight up. Now I get European bank stocks going up. They should because you're expanding the NIMS, but other stocks should have got whacked, but they didn't. They've actually rallied more than the US since October. So it's a long-winded way of saying... I think all eyes need to be on the Fed, but also the ECB and my favorite, you know, Haruhiko uh, Kurodasan, uh, who I think is going to unleash, and he already did last week, in four hours. No, no, I'm sorry, four days, four days, four days, not four hours, four days. In four days, he completely reversed all of the global QT. <laughs> by doing $32 billion of QE. Four days, reversed the entire previous year of QT. So the dude is unleashing (laughs) a, uh, I call it the Corona tsunami. And that that is going to uh, devalue the yen. And I, I think it could be an interesting year for Japanese equities. Um, just and Japanese bank stocks have gone you know, totally ballistic, but uh, I think others are going to have to follow that. So if we get back to a world of of big liquidity, um, you know, China has uh, increased stimulus. They're you know halfway back, uh, and probably another half trillion this year. That'll be big. Chinese equities will rip if that happens. Um, Croatian, I mean, here's the great thing. Remember when Kyle Bass said 100% debt to GDP, Japan's going to fold, can't survive this. They're 226. I know. 226. I know. He bought, he bought 14% of the JGPs. Wow. I didn't 14% last year. 14%. So Hirohiko, Haruhiku, um, which I, I, I learned if you, if you look at his kanji name, two, two symbols, the first symbol, uh, translates to big, far or flourish. So he is a big wave surfer. He is the big kahuna. And, uh, I think all eyes have to be on, on, on him and, and what Japan does. So that, I mean, look, they call that trade. That's the widow maker trade, right. Uh, famously for such a long period of time, but I, I agree with you. I think, I mean, 
periodically, right? There's uh, there's speculation that they're going to abandon their their successful regime of yield curve control. There's also a changing of the guard, right? Corona's yep. stepping down as head of the BOJ. So I agree. And then I I also saw some. I, I don't want to. I, I didn't really get this confirmed because it came from an anonymous Twitter account. But that uh, d- d- inflation was heating up in this was Tokyo. Yeah, yeah. it has been inflation. has been a little bit. So right. Look, so just yeah. a tiny bit. But that's the black swan thing, right? I mean that that's the last that duration anchor, right? Is the Bank of Japan yep. and everything that's going on in Japan. So we'll see. I suppose we'll see. We will see. As always. Best I know we got to go. Mark, best hour of my week, my friend. All right. I will see you here uh, next week. Have a good same one. Same time, same bat, same bat time, same bat channel. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. Cheers, my Amen. friend.